Tuesday, November 5th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Tim Hansen, and from Fool.com, Matt Copenheffer. Happy Election Day, gentlemen. Woo! <laughs> Democracy. <laughs> uh, yes, Election Day here in uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia. Did you vote this morning? I don't. I, I, I did. I don't see a little sticker on. I your, did. Uh, no. I. I. You know. I don't need a sticker to feel good about voting. <laughs> I don't worry. I give my sticker to my son, uh, <laughs> who's uh, disenfranchised. But um, but I voted. Um, maybe this. Uh, I don't. I don't want to necessarily draw the connection to election day. But today on Market Foolery, we're going to be talking about some wrongdoing going on in the public markets, um, at, at least in the form of companies paying some pretty big fines. Johnson and Johnson being one of them. Uh, but By the way, he's disenfranchised because he's three, not because he's a felon. <laughs> you just you had. I to. just want. I, I didn't want to have any lingering <laughs> doubts out there. You said it, and then you thought about it. <laughs> For the one listener who's like, "Hey, you know what? That's, you know that's that's trouble. That's trouble." <laughs> it's like, yeah, Adam, Tim, Tim Hanson, yeah, he's, Tim's he's, son, his kid's criminal. A, he's got a, he's got a kid in juvie. Um, speaking of juvie, hedge fund giant SAC <laughs> Capital is going to pay a fine of one point eight billion dollars as part of a deal requiring SAC to plead guilty to criminal fraud char- uh, charges. And Matt, this is. Uh, worth pointing out, the largest fine ever in the history of insider trading. It's a lot of money. S- yeah, and so for billionaire um, titan Steve Cohen and his band of merry men, uh, they're basically out of business now. Yes, sort of, sort of. I, Stevie Cohen's worth nine billion dollars. So the minus one point eight billion. Right. Well, that's is that after that's one point eight. I, I don't know how much of that's going to directly come out of Stevie's pocket, but that's going to come out of SAC's pocket, right? I think and all the money that's left at SAC is his, right? Everybody else basically pulled. So. Yeah, every, everybody's been pulling their money out. So part of the part of the the agreement is that they can't manage money for outside investors anymore. But with nine billion dollars or something around there, you need a pretty large organization to manage that. So SAC will probably continue just managing insiders' money. How good are these people at managing money if the way they got ahead in the past was by insider questionable. trading? Questionable. That's a little questionable now. <laughs> TBD, Chris. Yeah. I mean, isn't this a little bit like the uh, the steroid argument in baseball? It's like, well, look, if you know, if all of a sudden, you know, locally um, in this part of the country, uh, baseball fans probably remember Brady Anderson uh, for the Baltimore Orioles, who just one spring training just showed up. Looked incredibly jacked and just out of sheer coincidence happened to hit 50 home runs that season. To be fair, SAC Capital has been on steroids for a much longer period of time, <laughs> if allegations are to be believed. And the, the, one of the Bloomberg articles on, on the, the story here actually compared it to Barry Bonds and, and steroids. But here's, here's the thing. You know, listeners may be listening to this and saying, well, that's kind of wonky. I don't really care about That article is hilarious, by the way, in terms of the like, oh, Poor Steve Cohen and the reputation he's worked so hard to build. That's going to hurt him more than the fine, the loss of faith. Really? Give me a river, Bloomberg. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. It is, what, it, is, it is Bloomberg, right? Right, exactly. Um, but, but when we you know, think about 
uh, J.P. Morgan getting ready to I was just going to say, think about the people that Steve Cohen does business with, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan. How worried should they be? Well, that's who we should really be crying for. What about what about Citigroup or Goldman Sachs? Well, no, <laughs> J.P. Morgan's about to – supposedly about to agree to a $13 billion fine. But the government's going to continue going after uh, J.P. Morgan for, for criminal uh, complaints. And uh, – this they rapidly the government rapidly went after SAC and and it's been it's been a long time that they've been going after to track this down so investors in JP Morgan which include myself have to wonder how far is it going to go and 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 how tightly is the government going to turn the screws in terms of of going after these criminal cl- complaints against the bank it's a little i have the answer to that okay they will go so far as to not destabilize the system that's as far, and then they will stop. Well, that's what's that's what's great about SAC, right? You can, yeah, you can take them out, and the system's fine. It's a hedge fund, and yeah. we don't we don't really care. Except, I guess, if you work at Bloomberg and you're crying a river for Steve Cohen and his reputation, makes fantastic. Poor Steve he- Cohen. Poor Steve. <laughs> Go home and cry in front of his art collection. Makes great headlines, though, right? If you're a if you're a, a government prosecutor, take down a big hedge fund. There's there is no downside in that scenario. Well, right, and it has the added merit of being proven true. Well, there's that too. <laughs> All right, let's move on to Johnson & Johnson. Uh, the company has agreed to pay more than $2.2 billion in criminal and, and civil fines uh, to settle accusations that it improperly promoted the antipsychotic drug Risperdal to older adults, children, uh, people with develop, uh, developmental disabilities. Um, this Again, this... Huge fine, third largest in pharmaceutical history. Um, I, I say this as a Johnson and Johnson shareholder. Uh, this seems really, really bad. This seems worse than what it just appears to be on the surface. Well, I think what's a little bit interesting here is two point two billion for Johnson and Johnson recommending drugs to people that could have caused stroke, that had elevated risk of, of, of stroke. Versus one point eight billion for insider trading at SAC Capital. I, I mean, it, it just this. I agree. This looks really bad, and, and this has not been. This hasn't been the first the, the first go round for Johnson and Johnson in the past few years in terms of uh, not just bad headlines, but but bad activity. Uh, it, I think at some point you do have to start wondering about the company and about uh, what's going on inside there. Here's what I'm wondering about. I'm wondering about CEO Alex Gorsky. Um, because, and I'm, I'll just read directly from the article in the New York Times. Um, much of the conduct highlighted in the case, um, uh, which extends from 1999 through 2005, occurred while Alex Gorsky was vice president for sales and marketing and later president of the company's pharmaceutical un- uh, unit. Um, he was named CEO last year. Should this guy be fired? I mean, uh, not to get, not to get too philosophical. Um, on, on a money podcast, right? But this is this is one of those situations where when, when you're a shareholder or you're the management of a company and you're contemplating business strategy, long-term business strategy, the, the, the ethics, the morals, and the, 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 the mission, vision, and values you want to promote, right? You need to have a, 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 a holistic view of the world. You need to see all of the constituencies you serve, your shareholders, your employees, your customers, and, and the world to some extent, right? And, and this is just an example. And for, you know, for-profit medicine uh, does occasionally get on, on dicey ethical ground because there's, there's a fine line to walk, right, between making novel treatments available to people who need them as soon as possible right. and 
overselling them to a population that does not need them and may actually be harmed by them, right? And, and there's no, I don't think there's a right, it's case by case basis, things happen. You know, but if, if, if your goal in, in moving product, especially product like healthcare product, is to simply move units or move volume, right. you're, you're probably n- not serving the other three constituencies you're responsible for. You know, but you read a proxy statement and you look at how people are compensated very, very few companies have any benchmarks other than financial ones. And that's what ha- things like this are, end- are, are what end up happening. And that's, that's just a general thing that, you know, I would like to see more proxy statements, more management compensation based not just on financial metrics at a company or even total shareholder return, which is kind of a bogus thing anyway. You know, but what other, you know, what other things do you need to achieve in order to have upheld your mission as an organization? And it just doesn't, it's not happening right now. Uh, again, I, 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 part of this uh, New York Times article included a statement from a spokesperson at Johnson & Johnson. I, I don't know. This seems, this seems like one of those things where Gorski's going to have to come out in the next few days and sit down for an interview with someone. Um, because if I'm on the board of directors at Johnson & Johnson, I'm absolutely – Ringing up the CEO today and saying, uh, "You need to explain yourself. You need to you need to sit down and talk to us about what you did, what you didn't do, to what extent you were involved in any of this." Because, again, if this if at the heart of this is a, a division that he was overseeing, and now he's the CEO, I don't know, Matt. It sounds like a guts to go situation. It yeah, I, I think he's he's got to come out and say something very convincing in order to to keep his job and to to get shareholders uh, to convince shareholders that that things aren't still going wrong. I, I like Tim's point a lot. I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, one of the one of the open questions I, I cover the I cover a lot of the financials and banks, and one of the storylines over the past few years has been, are the big banks just too big to manage? But then I look at something like this, and, and you know, this isn't the first case of something like this happened to a big right. company. Are big companies, like big giant companies like this, just too big to manage? And and to Tim's point, with a smaller company, I feel like you can get shareholders rallied around those kind of targets and goals. With bigger companies, it, it almost seems like at that point, everybody is just con- con- concerned with the dollars and cents and moving more product. Well, even, I mean, you know, Intuitive Surgical is a relatively high profile, and, and not too large a company. I mean, you know, generally speaking, one product line um, was a small cap until not too long ago. You know, and and if you if you if you look at what there's a debate around that stock now about the adverse events that their robot is causing in surgery, right? And it's not necessarily that people who um, that people who should have been having surgery, you know, got got bad surgery because of the robot, but rather that people who probably shouldn't have had surgery at all got convinced to have surgery because, oh, this robot was going to be so safe. Generally speaking, if you don't need to have surgery, yeah. not having surgery is a safer option than having surgery. Um, and so, but the, it's just these, these, these medical and healthcare related things, they happen, they don't happen in a vacuum. And, you know, and, and it, it just, a lot of the stuff gets on, gets on sort of dicey ethical ground. Well, I think that's also a good point too, that uh, robots are scary. <laughs> I, I mean, long-time <laughs> listeners know. Bam. I mean, I mean, the, the, what, the, else, what else do you need? The, the rise in the machines. I mean, we've talked about that before. That That is coming. Look, no w- mistake about it. One other thing on Johnson & Johnson, one group that is that is very happy in all of this, this was a whistleblower suit. So there's $168 million going to whistleblowers in California, Massachusetts, and Pennsylvania. Touchdown. Well, 
Maybe Steve Cohen will call them and ask for a loan. Hopefully they're not spending. Uh, he's not going to do that for a while. <laughs> uh, you can follow us on Twitter. At MarketFoolery is uh, the show's Twitter handle. I got a question from L9699 who, uh, who wrote, Can you please talk about the Warehouser and TriPoint Homes merger, please? Thank you. Uh, did I pronounce that right, Tim? Warehouser? I believe so. Warehouser, uh, we were talking about this uh, before taping, Timber Company. TriPoint Homes, a small home builder. Um, TriPoint is a company uh, you've studied up on a little bit, Tim. What what do you think of the merger? Uh, this looks to be a good move for TriPoint. TriPoint is a relatively um, new home builder uh, with a veteran industry management team that's backed by some sort of smart um, hedge fund capital. And their strategy coming out of 2009 was to acquire choice pieces of land that were in, in distress of some type. Uh, they built up a large land footprint in California and had IPO'd this year to raise some capital. We're going to start building houses as they foresee a rebounding housing market in the United States. Um, this was an opportunity to take off of Warehouser some land holdings that they had um, and then that were being used by some small home building divisions within Warehouser, although that was not their core business. Um, from what I understand, Warehouser wanted to get those holdings in the hands of a management team that better knew how to monetize them. And so in a stock deal, um, a somewhat complicated deal, but essentially a stock deal. Um, Warehouser is going to get a bunch of stock in TriPoint. TriPoint is going to get the land, and then TriPoint remains in control of the company. Uh, it's, TriPoint stock has been up pretty sharply on the news. I think it's a good thing for them. Uh, it gives them more attractive land reserves on which to build homes. And so if you believe that home prices are going to be going up along with demand, obviously not a straight shot, but probably a bumpy upward climb based on household formation numbers, makes sense. Uh, how is housing looking back in in your old stomping ground of Las Vegas? Because that was uh, whenever I think about sort of the uh, the crash, um, you know, the the, the housing uh, bubble bursting. Great. I automatically think of Las Vegas. It's been looking great. It's it, it went like this. It went way down, and now it's people are listening. Down. They can't see your hand movements. Oh yeah, <laughs> isn't that? Don't, don't we have a camera going? We have a camera going, but uh, you know. The, <laughs> Maybe they hear the whoosh, the whoosh of the hand. It's there's there's been a pretty sharp rebound in Las Vegas. So like like some of the other markets where prices fell off just off a cliff, there's been a sharp rebound. It's nowhere near the peak, um, but it's a it's a it's a market like L.A. like Southern California that's that's had a lot of boom and bust cycles. It's a, it's a very volatile housing market um, price wise. I will actually be back there this weekend, so I'll get to take a look around, see what's going on. But last time I was there, there were a lot of a lot of building projects back in uh, back up and running. There are a lot of projects that had shut down before I moved, which was a year and a half ago or so, or a year ago, uh, that that are back up and running now too. Are you going back for some desert race of some sort? I, I am actually. How far? Fifty uh, k. It's nothing, dude. <laughs> You've done way more than that. <laughs> Short, short. I, I'm doing my first half marathon this coming weekend, and I'm, I'm, I would, nice. I would venture a bet that you're going to finish fifty k. You could call that a half fifty k, though. Ish, Ish. right? Ish. That math works out. Ishishly, not, not really. I was just going to say, I, be, I bet Matt finishes his fifty k in, in less time than it takes me to do. Fifty k is what? Thirty miles? Thirty one? Thirty one miles? Yeah. Half marathon is thirteen. Slightly le- a hair less than a half fifty k. Yeah, I don't. I it don't. is it is exactly half of a marathon. There you go. Right, <laughs> half marathon is half the marathon. I don't. I don't have speed to burn like Matt. Um, 
to see Matt Copenheffer's uh, hand movements on video, you can watch uh, Where the Money Is uh, on Roku, on our YouTube channel. You can also listen to the podcast uh, and to hear more from Tim Hansen. Go to FoolFunds.com. Sign up for declarations. What are you, what are you waiting for? Sign up for no declarations. Kidding. It's a free monthly newsletter. You get insightful thinking from Tim Hansen and his merry men. I mean, yes, Bill Mann, too, but... But Mostly Tim Hansen. Really, get it for the Tim Hansen. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That does it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.